We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To True Faith Podcast, we're not sure what to call this one. It's a kind of preview, review, pre-review. Use however many of those words as you want. We can talk to you today about the Sheffield United game at home and the upcoming last game of the season, Fulham away. I'm delighted to be joined on the line and on the screen by Norman and Sai. Hello, gents. How are we? Good evening. Hello. Good. Thanks, Maggie. Yesterday um, was one of the great days. Uh, return of return of fans to the grounds. Um, for me, anyway, I, you know, we'll, we'll discuss the difference between my experience of the match and yours. But um, I met Alex and a few of the lads in the pub before the game. Had a few pints, walked up to the match with my dad, went in the grounds, stood in our usual seats, sang about the tune and watched Newcastle United play football live for the first time in 15 months. And it was, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, one of the great days, despite what was an utterly dismal performance. Um, it was brilliant for me to see see fans back in the stadium. It's you know it's 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 been class to see it on the telly already. Um, but to experience it myself yesterday was was so class, and it was just a memory of what life used to be like. Like we, we used to be able to go at the match with our mates. We used to be able to go at the pub before the match. We used to be able to tell the wives we only had two pints, but actually we've had five. Like all all of the great stuff was back yesterday, um, and I I had an absolutely fantastic time. One thing I'd really forgotten about um, Norman was that. That taking in the match in the ground, especially when you've got a bit of a dodgy seat like sitting in the corner, is a massively different experience to watching it on the telly. And thankfully tonight, when we're looking at the game, looking back at the game, we've got myself who was at the game and you two that, that both weren't. So Norman, what was what was it like for you watching that on the telly? Well, first of all, mate, when you said one of the great days, I thought you were being sarcastic, but then I, then I realised it was because you returned at the match. <laughs> because the match itself, I don't know if that would well, that'll be remembered much in the next uh, you know ten years or so. But um, when I listened to the match day podcast and uh, when I spoke to Alex briefly yesterday, and he mentioned he was meeting you in the pub, all the old feelings started returning. How much you know the the social aspect of it, especially when you support a club like Newcastle and, and obviously lots of other clubs, you know that that don't win trophies. The social aspect of it is is what's the most important thing, right? It's the meeting your mates, it's having a few beers, and the football almost is secondary because you know it can it can be good, it can be bad. It's never it's never consistent, right? Um, and when I listened to the match the podcast and I heard you all having a drink in the booze, I, I thought I cannot wait to get back, and and that's in spite of everything. That's in spite of how miserable Newcastle United are as a football club in general, how poor Steve Bruce is as a manager, how utterly ambitious. Although, what would you say? Ambitiousness? Can we say that? Um, how lacking an ambition we are as a club. Um, meeting your mates at the match is one of the best things. And also drinking during the day at the weekend is one of life's greatest things for me. Um, not that I've got a problem, but God almighty, I love pathological max here drinking. I just love it and I can't <laughs> deny it. Um, so I I got that in my system. Um, the match itself, it's, what I found interesting, mate, was... So obviously I got feedback from you lads who beat the match. And I know that you berated the performance to the extent where I was thinking, what, was it that bad? And what it made me realise was actually, when you're watching it on TV, because really the TV cameras are focusing on where the ball is, right? You're not really seeing what's happening off the ball. So you're not seeing like, you know, lack of movement or players running into wrong positions or players just not bothering. You're just seeing the ball and the players around it. And to me, the performance wasn't that bad. No, admittedly, there's an element of Bruce's window here, right? Things have been so bad for so long. What's good has shifted, right? So yesterday wasn't 
horrifically mediocre, we won. Therefore, it was good. Or it was Arid. It was Arid because things are so bad usually that we won yesterday. We kept a clean sheet. We didn't play tremendously poorly. So it was Arid. And some of the performance that I saw, I thought, were decent. Wasn't one of the greatest performances by any stretch of imagination. But I just found it interesting, the the difference it makes being in the stadium and seeing the bigger picture. And you come out after the bigger picture and you're like, that was shocking, that. Whereas I don't think I found it as shocking, you know? I think it can go both ways, Mick. Yeah, I don't know if, if you're... I don't know how close to the pitch you were in the in the corner where you're... Where you basically where you normally sit, yeah, or close to, yeah. Right. So from there, and I, I'm I'm more traditionally used to go to the match when I was younger in towards the back of the Gallagher, or I'd spend some time in level seven, and I think you get a really good view of the the overall match from the the higher seats in the stadium. But you're absolutely right that when you're near the front, it's totally totally different to watching it on TV because you've got a very spe- specific view of the match, and you can see a bit more in a bit more detail what's happening to the players right in front of you where the cameras might not pick up actually a, a little touch here and how good that was to beat a man or whatever but at the same time you've got no real concept of of the runs that are being made of the effort levels of, of kind of how the team's shaping up when you're that close because you're just more focused on the action as, as it happens at the Gallagher end or in that corner so it is it's a it's it must have been because obviously you were there Mickey it must have been nice and fun to have that perspective back again compared to just watching on telly every week where it's just, it feels the same and it gets a bit almost monotonous. It's it, you just, you sort of, that's how you watch a football match. Cause I've just got used to I only ever watch a football match on telly now. And it's, you just see the whole pitch and you're not seeing up close, as you say, Norman, it does follow the ball around, but you're not really seeing individuals. Cause I might spend a bit of time in the match watching. Well, who's, you know, back in, when I was a kid, I just watched Robert. Didn't matter if you had the ball. I'll just watch him <laughs> all day long and see what runs he was making and, and see, what he was kind of, and you, you don't do that when you watch the tell you just watch what the camera wants you to watch. So there's a massive difference. And for me, that's the one thing I do miss about being in the match is kind of choosing how to take it in because the TV cameras have got a very specific way of showing you a football match. And often the most frustrating thing in the world ever is if there's a goal kick's been taken and they're still doing a close-up of someone's reaction to missing a shot or something. So you, you miss how the team shapes up for these quite important things and how, how quickly we've got back in shape. And that, that kind of informs you about the the effort levels and, and what's going on in the game. And I suppose that's why you lads have come back from the match last night with a kind of different view to what we've seen, which anyone who's watched it at home and watched the highlights will think, well, Newcastle did all right. They've done a job. They've won the game. But from from you and Alex and others, it just it doesn't feel like you've, you've had that same experience. And I suppose there's a little bit more of you've made the effort to get there. So there's a little bit more expectation because you're at the match and you're like, well, how are lads? Give us some. We're here. We're supporting you. So... It's 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 mad how different it is, and you, and you kind of forget that because of how long it's been. Good point. That last one there on your expectation levels when you actually make the effort to to get in the match. I think that is what makes it more frustrating, especially if you get an away match, right? And the team just falls. Yeah. It's absolutely devastating because you think, well, I've come all this way, and I haven't even, you know, the effort that I've put in coming years, like more effort than you've put in like on, on the pitch. But um, the uh, you're right there. The view. And being in the stadium, and for me, I do like to be high up. I like to be at St James's, either in the Leasers or the Gallagher, high up because I, I like to see the full pitch in front of us. Because those little things that 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 you know, you, you, some people enjoy, and I do I enjoy seeing seeing the positions of the players. I enjoy seeing how the defence moves. I, I, you know, even with kick off, it kick off when you're seeing it, and you can see the lineup of the players. And you're thinking, right, this is what we're doing today. And I think under, under Benitez more um, because because of his kind of his tactical nous. You would look at a Benitez game at kickoff and you think, right, this is how we're going to play today. And you could see that kind of shape shifting during the game. And I really miss that. And you're right, we've got so used to watching it on TV. I think I got a bit of um, Stockholm syndrome yesterday when I started missing the fact that the stadiums were empty. I was like, oh, do I like it now that they hands in? I think it's a Stockholm syndrome. I feel like I've been kidnapped. And it's almost like I don't want to see 3D anymore. I just want to have my life on Zoom in empty stadiums. But I'll get over it, I'm sure. One thing that I did think about uh, after you know after I found out that you lads didn't think the match was as bad as we did was how bad would it have been to be at the match in that January run? You know, if we thought if we thought that was terrible, which we did, and it was, like by the same kind of ratio, it must have been even worse if you'd been there. And like, how could it be even worse than what was absolutely? dismal performance it just made me realize again just how lucky bruce has been that fans haven't been in the ground for that for that absolutely terrible run one other thing that i'd sort of forgotten that happens in football especially when you sit lower down is early on in the first half we had a we had a decent chance or what seemed like a decent chance with some quite clever build-up 
and something happened at the other end of the pitch and I just had no idea what it was like we just didn't score and I couldn't tell I couldn't see my dad didn't know the bloke in front of us didn't know like no one around us knew what had happened so you got that like kind of frustration of not scoring but also like the question of what happened and that that just hasn't existed for 15 months because you've been able to watch replay after replay after replay you can go if you missed it you can go straight on twitter and find out what's going on obviously in Newcastle united you don't get any signal anywhere near the ground so you kind of do that while you're at the match even when there's only ten thousand there by the way just to confirm still doesn't work the confusion though right that confusion's part of the enjoyment sometimes because if you remember when we beat West Ham 3 out under Rafa, and like, we were all convinced that Mitt Richard scored. Like, we're celebrating that Mitt Rudd scored up in there. Uh, I think it was me, Ben, Alex, I think you as well, Si. Yeah. Like, it's Mitt Rudd, everyone. It's Mitt Rudd. It's Mitt Rudd. It's Kieran Clark, wasn't it? Kieran Clark, um, yeah. yeah. I good day, that. I mean, those little things. You, you, you can't, you know, part of the enjoyment, right, of being at the match when it's live, right? You haven't got the, especially in Newcastle, you don't have like a big screen to see things played over and over again, right? You, you haven't even got that. So uh, it's, it's that kind of crack between you and your mates. It's the, it's the attitude towards a referee, right? You're questioning everything. You're, you're, there's doubts there. And it makes it part of the fun, right? Like, you know, you're not... I suppose on, on a certain level, it's almost like what VAR does now, right? You know, like, t- VAR basically means that there isn't that kind of spontaneous um, reaction, that ongoing discussion that lingers between people because it's just like, you oh, know, this is what happened because we're going to replay it like 15 times. So yeah. that's another thing about being at the match that I miss is the uncertainty. I do miss the uncertainty of certain things. No, I totally agree. And the, the final, my final thing that I'd really missed that I'd sort of forgotten about, which we just did for the sake of it yesterday, was when someone comes to the corner from the other team to take a corner, calling them a dick and telling them their shit. Like I've, I've really missed that. <laughs> it's quite, quite sad how much pleasure I got out of just griefing someone that I, I didn't even know his name, <laughs> even when he came across. Um, but yeah, just it was just so brilliant to be back, and I, I feel quite lucky that I was one of the ones that got to go. Um, although we didn't we didn't manage to sell all the tickets, I don't think. Looking back at the performance side, and um, I mean, I, I thought it was more dismal than you, but it was it was certainly not a good performance. Do you think that performance against them was unexpected, considering how things how things have been over the past few weeks, or did did you expect us to be terrible yesterday? It's a good question, and you know my thoughts on. Um on the manager and what I generally expect from this team, which is just disappointment. But um, I think Bruce has made it clear, and he talks about it every week, to be fair, that when he's missing these good players, he doesn't know what to do. And I thought that team stank of just Wilson being missing. Like that in itself showed, because Joe Linton was back in, and also Maximan doesn't really work as a as a second forward when he hasn't got someone as good as Wilson next to him. Um, he still played very well, Maximan, but in a very, very individual capacity. He didn't really link up with with other members of the team much, um, other than for the for the goal. Um, it was more just him showboating the rest of the time. So, not, 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 no, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised. I think there's an element also of the job is done. We're, we're safe, and whilst we've all said on this podcast the last few weeks, it's very important that we still finish the season strongly because of how bad it's been, and it's important that we get to a respectable point total to take in the next season. Players probably don't see it that way. The likes of Shelby, the likes of Joe Linton, um, even even the defenders are probably Almiron are probably thinking, you know what, two games left, they might have started taking their feet off the gas, and that's. The manager's job to to sort out, you know, he's got to keep the players motivated because unfortunately for him, he needs these results more than the players do. You know, the players have kind of done what they need to do in spite of the manager and kept us up. Uh, but the only the only players left on that side are, uh, that seem to be trying are your Maximan, who I think is putting himself in the shop window. It's Willock, who's obviously just got the hunger to, to show everyone what he can do. But I thought pretty much everyone else looked like they might be just sort of letting their foot off the, the, the gas a bit, which is totally understandable from the player's perspective. They've been run ragged. There's, there was injuries all over the place. Um, and yeah, that, that falls on the manager and the coach and stuff to say, well, look, lads, the job's not done yet. And to be fair, we've got the three points. So you could argue that didn't really matter. You, you're not going to... We needed it. We needed to win in an entertaining and, and positive way. But winning the match was the most important thing for Bruce because <laughs> results putting us into, <laughs> into the magical 40s of points is probably all he cared about. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a funny one. I can't really say that it wasn't expected and I can't, I can totally understand why we've, we've had that game of football in a dead rubber against bottom of the league relegated team. Hard for the players to motivate themselves, never mind 
Steve Bruce to motivate them. So that, I, I'm not surprised with the way that kind of panned out. I disagree a little bit. I thought I thought the players should should have and could easily have been more motivated than they were because it was the first chance to play in front of the fans in such a long time. Um, and and I I was surprised that it tailed off into the second half because the atmosphere in the first half was was a, a save a couple of moments from from the corner about Bruce reasonably early on was really really positive and and really getting behind the team and there, w- there was one song that lasted like I'm not even exaggerating like 10 minutes at the end of the first half um, and virtually the whole ground was was joining in most people were just clapping along like outside of the Gallagher in the corner but like it was loud and and positive and I was I was a bit shocked to see how much the performance tailed off I know we, I know we've disagreed a little bit to the extent of that Norman what did what did you see in that performance yesterday that was different in the last couple of weeks and and, and why do you think it was the case I think you both made good points there. Uh, Mickey, you first, mate. The, I like the idea of the players being up for it because there's a crowd in there for the first time in a long time. But ultimately, I watched a few other games over the last couple of days and Burnley have already survived and they were absolutely atrocious against Everton. Um <laughs> Fulham, Man United. Man United have got players who are you know, stratospherically better than Moors and they were poor against Fulham. They've got bigger fish to fry, obviously. They've got the um, Europa League final coming up. But at the same time, it's not unique to Newcastle that the players were shall we say, slightly unmotivated. Um, and I think Sai makes a good point. You know, subconsciously, regardless of how professional they might be, they would switch off. You know, they, they would switch off. It, it's in, And it's like any job, I suppose. Ultimately, if you, you know, if you finish your tasks at work at like quarter past four and you're supposed to be working till five, how much effort are you going to put in the last 45 minutes? It's, you know, it, you, you subconsciously do just, just switch off. And, and again, Bruce isn't necessarily a manager that players are going to break the next four when they don't need to, you know. Um, but the, the performance itself, um, it wasn't a surprise, you know why? Because that's that level of mediocrity is what we are, right? So uh, the surprise has been the performances the last few weeks, right? The surprise <laughs> was the Leicester performance. Yeah. That was a surprise. The surprise was the point where well, the performance wasn't great, but we got a point. The surprise was the West Ham win. The surprise was the Burnley win. They're the surprises, mate. Like, the mediocrity is the default. So the minute that we start going on 22-game runs playing well, as opposed to winning twice in 22 games, that's when I'll turn and say after a poor performance, well, that was a surprise. But right now, there's no surprise about us playing poorly because ultimately, we've been poor for two seasons. So that's not me trying to be too negative. That's just that's just a fact, right? There's, how can you be surprised when you also play poorly against Sheffield United when ultimately we've played poorly against teams like them consistently for two years? Um, there were, I thought, there were individual performances that were good. Um, given the context of the game being utterly meaningless, um, I, I, you know th- those players aren't going to be as motivated as Steve Bruce to get to 45 points and equal Rafa's magical total two years ago, which is the end game, obviously. Um, but <laughs> the uh, the performances, I thought, I thought, I, mean, I you see again, this is a TV view. I thought Armiron was really busy, which you know is pretty standard of Armiron, but I thought he was good. I thought uh, Maximin was was excellent in in spells. Um, Willock, again, it's interesting because I haven't spoken to um, Alex at the match. He said that Willock was was alive when he came into their box, but for the rest of the game, he was like most other players. He wasn't necessarily at the races. To me, me and my brother were messaging each other during the match and were like, Willock is just, he's just phenomenal. He's just a phenomenal player. Um, and again, your perception changes. And, but I also thought, you know, defensively, um, Fede, I thought Freddy Fernandez was, was as solid and dependable as ever. Um, I think Jacob Murphy was full of willing, but obviously he's like a quality you know that that that's obviously loses the ball a lot, um, and I thought Dubravka was solid. So individual performances I thought were all right, um, but ultimately the overall performance kind of be surprised by that. We're we're poor, say we've been poor for two years, and we're playing against Sheffield United at home when we've avoided relegation. Nothing surprising about yesterday. Yeah, that's exactly it. What a one nil win over bottom of the league at home, who've who've already been relegated, is pretty much par for this Newcastle side, isn't it? So you're bang on about that, Norman. I think the only other thing I would comment is that probably did impact how this game went. Is didn't change the team. We've just we've we've played at the weekend against you know the champions, and then we've got a midweek game. Why not rotate the squad a bit? Why not put some fresh legs out? He just picks the same eleven bar um, Joe Linton for. For for Wilson, so what's what's he playing at? Just 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 rotate it, put some fresh legs in. So the, those players are tired. A lot of them, like Shelby Almiron, have played pretty much every game since the uh, since the gloves came off, and th- there was a bit of burnout in there as well as what, what, why do they want to 
bust a gut to injure themselves for meaningless fixtures, uh, you know, especially the, those who might think there's a transfer window coming up. So th- th- you're right, Norman, there's no way that the players' motivation could match the managers at this point or the, or the supporters, to be perfectly honest. You know, as far as they're concerned, they, they don't need to injure themselves to get a few extra points. That doesn't really mean much. So I absolutely understand why the players, again, weren't perhaps as at the races as we were kind of hoping for this first fixture in front of supporters. Sorry about the background noise. My dog's just trying to get out the cat flap. Um, it's too big. It's far too big. Um, the performance, like the, the the interesting thing is that you, you look at those performances yesterday by those those individual players and, and you think, well, like there are there are bright spots, right? There have been bright spots for the last few weeks, and there were a couple of bright spots yesterday. And I don't want like I don't want to be negative about it because ultimately, as as you both said, like this was this is um it's th- it's three points, right? And we're ending the season in a heck of a lot better shape if you if you just purely look at the results and the goals scored and the performances, right? In general, we're ending the season in a lot better shape than we were a few months ago, right? So I'm trying to take the few positives from that that I can. And yesterday, we played poorly, but we still won. All right, it was against Sheffield United. All right, they've got a minus 44 goal difference. But we played poorly yesterday and won. And that, for me, suggests possibly a little bit more of of an overall confidence amongst the players themselves. I think it's important that we get into Fulham and maybe pick something. I think losing to Fulham would probably have a little bit of it. It'll, It'll just kind of reignite that little bit of negativity, right? But in terms of what you're saying, Si, about um, him not changing the team, and I don't think he will on Sunday against Fulham as well, with Bruce, it's very much a case of if we play well and or if we win, I'm not going to change the team. If we lose yeah. and we get hammered, he'll maybe drop four or five players or bring in a, or bring in like a wild card like Matty Longstaff against Man U last season after we lost to Leicester 5-0. Um, I think that's the logic. There's no there's no looking at the opposition in Gannon Raid. What we need to do is I need to have this player in and this player in and I need to play this way. It's literally, how do we play in the last match? All right, all right, then we'll keep the same team. How do we play in the last match? Shocking. What shall I do? I'll bring in three different players or four different players. Yeah. That's the logic. So we played really well against Man City. We beat Leicester. Why change the team, ultimately? That's, that'll be yeah. the logic, I reckon. I mean, for, for balance, Sheffield United played the same eleven as well um, and just looked a bit more energetic and, <laughs> than, than we did. But they've they've got to kind of keep get build a team. They're building a team for next season, whereas we're as always, just kind of drifting into, into nowhere. So there's no obvious reason for us to kind of get our get our shit together, for important of a phrase. The, the lack of adaptability is a, is a massive problem for Bruce. And that's how you've said there, Sheffield United played the same team, but Sheffield United every week play a team that's better than them. Like, mm. That's what's different between them and us, whereas we've gone from playing Man City, who I like, granted had a couple of players missing, but, but are the champions of England and like brilliant. And we've played in exactly the same way with virtually the same eleven against the worst team in the league that are relegated with minus forty-four goal difference. Like, it's just it just doesn't make any sense. I kind of I, I kind of really wrap my head around it. They've also just thrown up. They've also just thrown a seventeen-year-old academy kid up front for the last few games. So yeah, I, okay. I read they haven't changed the team, but what they've done is they've they've kind of done what a lot of teams do at the end of the season. And they've got now to play for the blood of few youngsters, right? That would be something I'd probably like to see at Newcastle, but unfortunately. We don't necessarily invest very much money in the academy, do we? And then when we do, we get players like Matty Longstaff coming through and signing new contracts. We just didn't play them. <laughs> yeah, the, the utterly backwards right. football club. We, we decided to blood in 30 year old Dwight Gale, give him a half <laughs> for the first time in ages. <laughs> yeah, who actually I thought individually was was really quite poor yesterday. Um, that was that was one. I, I think I think a lot of you disagreed with us on that, but I I didn't see any effort there from Gale. I was surprised to see. Um, to see that performance from him when he's just been given that new deal, I thought he would be playing to try and get a get a foothold back in the team again, and that, that's not, that's not what I saw from from Dwight Gale yesterday. Um, overall, though, like I think a, a, a pretty disappointing way to spend our only game at St James's Park in 15 months, and the, you know it'll be another few months before we get to go back. Hopefully, um, Norman, you wanted to talk about something that the commentators have said, and I I don't I don't know what it is because I I didn't I didn't watch it on the telly. Ah, uh, it's. So we're winning 1-0. We're in the last minute, maybe even injury time. I think Sheffield United had a free kick. They read it to death, didn't they? Um, and the commentator 
the core commentator was Don Goodman. I've got no idea who the uh, main commentator was. They all sound the same, didn't they? Apart from Martin Taylor, who who sounds like you would um, if he was an ice cream, he'd lick himself. But uh, the, um, <laughs> the the commentator said, um, "Oh, what was it? You see, it, something along the lines of it would be typical Newcastle. Oh, it wouldn't be Newcastle if there wasn't the drama at the end." And I just thought, hold on, hold on a second. So it's this, it's the extension and the reinforcement of this narrative that's been constructed by nobody who supports Newcastle United, right? This is this is a figment of, of the media and people within the media. Are Newcastle United renowned? Are we renowned as a club historically for conceding last-minute goals and for you know dropping glorious positions um right at the death? Or do we do that more than anyone else? And I just it just made me think this whole season. Because I haven't been able to get the matches in person, so maybe maybe a lot of it's I'm I'm you know I'm not aware of a lot of it. Not not all matches are televised for a start when we're you know when you go there in person. That was never the case, right? It was like five or six matches a weekend. But we've we've had this opportunity where we haven't been able to get the match. We've had to watch every single game because we can't meet up with our mates. We're probably consuming more media because we want to get that fix right. We want to have that that crack on. So this season, what I've heard a lot of, and we've mentioned it loads, is the narrative around Newcastle. We're the club who there's always drama. There's always drama. The manager comes out and says, says there's always drama. It wouldn't be Newcastle if it wasn't drama. And it's like, well, where's it coming from? Well, what is it about Newcastle United that makes a commentator say it would, you know, it would be typical, it would be typical Newcastle if they conceded in the last minute? Like, what what is the kind of rationale that, that opinion's based on? And it, it was just another thought at the time was I kind of I just kind of weird to get back the matches, or when we're in a situation where if I kind of got the match. Newcastle United versus Sheffield United is not going to be on TV, and I don't have to listen to that absolute garbage that's being spouted. So I just wanted to vent that, and um, you know, I feel better for it. Thanks, lads. <laughs> well, I'm glad you feel better. You're right. That that whole thing's made up. Like I've never been able to understand it. Um, the healthiest way to go about it, though, Norman, is just don't listen to them. Turn turn them down, like you would do with if Michael Owen was one of the commentators on BT Sport. Turn it off. Listen to it on silent. Um. I don't know whether they would they, they they might have the option now of just having the stadium noise because that would have been class yesterday because the fans were quite loud and um, obviously that wouldn't be an option when. Uh... But what would I talk about on podcast, Mickey? If I didn't if I didn't have this to talk about, you know what I mean? <laughs> I've got to have something. I've got to have some. Give me something. You know what I mean? I need it. I, I hate it, but I need it at the same time. <laughs> um, Sai, the 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 post match was a bit. I'm going to say strange. Um, the, the club announced that the, the, the players were going to do a lap of honour, which I thought was unexpected considering we've only been there once a season and we've been absolutely dismal for most of it. Um, but they announced it, so so the vast, vast majority of the crowd stayed, uh, as you would expect considering we haven't been able to go for ages. It happened quite quickly, so the game finished. The kind of All of the players sort of edged towards the tunnel and then pretty quickly headed off around the pitch, followed by like a contingent of of the lads that hadn't been involved in their own in their own clothes, and then like a good, I don't know, like ten meters or so behind them, so a long way behind the the players that had actually played, Bruce came around on his own, and was met by a real hearty chorus of boos, pretty much all the way around the stadium, or at least until I left because they came to our corner sort of first. What what goes through his head to think that that was a good idea? <laughs> I, I genuinely, genuinely don't know. It's a, it's a really, really hard question to answer because I, I think you're right. I think you could have just sort of stood at the halfway line, done a bit of this and avoided any 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 trouble. For those listening, I've just done a little clap, you know. Um, you didn't have to do a lap of honour, certainly not by himself. I can't... The only thing I can think is that in his head, he legitimately thinks that he's done a good job and that most people agree with him. Because that's what he seems to think all along, that it's just a, a noisy minority of, of keyboard warriors. So I think in his head, he probably thought, I might get away with this. I might just get a few claps and then I can kind of just give myself a pat on the back and hope it's done. I also think he's just switched off to it because his comments after the Lab of Honor seem to suggest he thought it was just a few people and that he's, he's not everyone's cup of tea as if it's just a small minority of people who had a beef with him and that everyone else was, was dead, dead buzzing. Um, that's not, I mean, by all accounts, that's not how it was. I was talking into me curry by this stage. I didn't stick around to, um, to, to see what, what happened, but, um, I don't know. I think, I think he's that deluded about the fact that the, the, the I mean, his smugness, um, post-match last week and the way he's 
done his little interview with the talk sport since we won a game suggests that in his head he's he, he thinks he's absolutely proved everyone wrong by this small run of decent form he's had in the last month i think in his head he reckons he shut everyone up and i think that's why he did it i think he generally thought i'm, I'm out the i'm out the woods here and everyone's going to appreciate me finally and <laughs> he's wrong obviously but at the same time, I think his, his ears basically switch off when he boos. So in his head, he was going around just for the sake of the uh, of the small people number of people who probably were just clapping because they were just happy to be at the match and see we win. So yeah, I don't know. I can't I can't get into the bloke's head anymore. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, there was there was quite a, like the overwhelming atmosphere was was really positive. Like I've said, there was you know the Bruce the Bruce chance in the first half were minor. It wasn't that many people, but because there was like way less people in the ground that they came across quite loud and you like I, I know he will have heard them then that that started after about 10 minutes it was like a chorus of all of the usual class songs and then that so like I, I know he will have heard it so he must have been aware that those same people were going to be in the ground when he went round at the end all he's had to do was just go amongst the players because it it it, it was a minority it was definitely a minority of people that were that were booing him um there wasn't many people actively clapping him obviously but the, the, it was definitely a minority booing him. If he just stayed amongst the players, like it would have been, it, it, it wouldn't have even happened because everyone wanted to applaud Willock and Wilson and you know the, the players that have that have that have turned the season around a bit. The Maximan, that all of those lads were there and they were lapping up the applause. If Bruce had just snuck around with them, none of this would have happened. And I, I just sort of think like he brings, he just brings it on himself. I, I, it's like, so like it's like self harm. I genuinely can't, I can't understand what is what his mindset was. I'm curious about what you two lads think about people booing him because I actually felt, I don't want to say sorry for him, but just a bit disappointed and not not in the fans, but that that's what it's come to, that we got, we, you know, we've got this one chance to go to the game, 10,000 of us once in 15 months and we and, and we and some of us boo the manager as he walks around the pitch. It, it made me really sad about the state of Newcastle United. Would, would you two have booed him? That 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 wording you've just used there is the right way to word it. Make you sad about the state of things. Sad about the fact that people are so unhappy that even back in the stadium after over a year and winning, people are still annoyed at 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 how the fact that we're having to enjoy a one nil win at home to Sheffield United is one of the few good moments we've had this season. I think I think it's absolutely justified. I think he's got off lightly because he's just just scraped out the last few results. But it's been shocking for the vast majority of of two years now and for over a year of that people haven't been able to vent that frustration anywhere other than on the internet so i think people are entitled them to um kind of let them know that actually what has happened over the course of the season and the during the accumulation of points that has taken place over the last 10 months isn't okay and not everyone's happy with with um just pulling it off at the last minute to scrape scrape safe of relegation again i think i think I'm a little bit surprised there wasn't more of it, but I totally understand that the vast majority of people who went to the game just want to enjoy being at the game again. And I, I would have done the same, to be perfectly honest. But people are frustrated. People are frustrated that Newcastle have, have moved nowhere but in the wrong direction for two years and nothing's changed just because we've had a few results to get out of the woods in the last few weeks. So to some people, it's not enough, and rightly so. No one. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, personally, I wouldn't have booed him. But I, I really, I, I didn't even recall a, a time that I have um, booed anyone, even even if I've disliked them. But at the same time, do I think that people doing it were shouldn't have done it? Not not the slightest. I tell you why. Because what people have had, people who love that football club, have gone to matches all their lives. We've had Steve Bruce for well since he arrived at Newcastle, like undermining them with the way that he talks to people, like talk sport. And comes across in interviews, like undermining like Newcastle United fans. Carlin were histrionic, Carlin were delusional, saying we shouldn't have these expectations. And, and, and on the same day, or maybe what was the day earlier, so within 20 hours of the game, he'd been making jokes about Newcastle never being able to sign someone like Harry Kane, sarcastic jokes, like undermining the um, any any fans' ambition. You know, this is a club that did break the world record to sign the best number nine in the world at the time. I mean, you could argue original Ronaldo was pretty good himself at the same time, but you know. Shearer was one of the greatest players in the world. We signed him. I'm not saying that people expect us to get out and spend two million on Harry Kane, but what I'm saying is to absolutely dismiss it out of hand. But not even that. To also, by saying it, suggest that the number nine you've currently got isn't as good, and therefore number nine him is enough reason to get people's backs up. So anyone who booed him, like 
fair, you know, like com completely fair. And I didn't feel sorry for him. The bloke took on the responsibility, took on the massive pay check that came his way. Thinks he can do the job. Thinks he's done a good job. Nah, there's no, there's no. I don't feel sorry. If the you look, if it gets personal, if people start criticising him like for how he appears, or they just start saying horrible things, fair enough. But like you know, booing a manager who hasn't done a particularly good job after he spent twelve months coming up with outrageous comments that have undermined you as a fan, fair. I think I think that's exactly it, Norman. If he had just been rubbish at the job, but seemed like he was trying, he's just not good enough. I would feel sorry for him because you know he's, he's quite. He must be what sixty. He's an, he's an old bloke, <laughs> but um, because of his behaviour and the way he basically puts fire on the on the put, adds to the flames of, of of how the world perceives Newcastle fans. Instead of defending us, the clubby bloody managers, instead of defending the supporters and being on side with us, he's joined that other side of of just disparaging we and like you say, normally scoffed at we He's laughed at we He's called we his hysterical and he's he's just continued that ridiculous expectations line that's been bandied around by people who don't watch Newcastle um he deserves more criticism than he gets and you're right Norman it doesn't need to be personal it can just be about that and about what he's not achieved this season it doesn't have to be about you know Steve Bruce the man it's literally just his performance in the job he claims to to want to try his best at and yeah I think He's 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 not everyone's cup of tea. Doesn't quite illustrate this the situation properly, and either he doesn't really believe that, and that's just how he's kind of put it to the the interviewer when he was asked about it, or he's that deluded that he does think that it's just a couple of people, just you can't please everybody kind of thing, and that's rubbish. Like he should be saying, look, I totally understand these people. I totally understand that this season on the whole, hasn't really been good enough and that we should be aspiring to be better. There's ways he could answer these questions that would make people at least respect him. And he never does. He never does. He just goes down the same old lazy route of, yeah, those those people don't know what they're talking about. Those people just have unrealistic expectations. And it's it's unforgivable the way the way he does that. Instead of saying, sorry, just quickly, instead of saying, I'm doing the best I can, I'm doing a good job. Like, just say, you know what? I could have done better. Mm -hmm. I could have done better. And I think that would have just... That would have like got rid of like a lot of ill feeling in one fell swoop, right? But that's that's not the case. And, and unfortunately, I didn't want to harp on about it because I know we've got more to talk about. But um it is you look at his managerial career, you look at how he interacted with uh, Villa fans, you look at how he interacted with Sunnan fans. Who would have ever thought that you'd be sitting here yeah, as a Newcastle fan thinking, I understand how Villa fans and Sunnan fans felt? Two clubs that we probably cannot stand more than any others, and yet at the same time we've got so much in common. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it brings me a great deal of pain that actually to think that I, I identify with an Aston Villa fan. Um, think about the think about the managers that Newcastle have had over the last ten or twelve years, and 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 who do we hate? And it's it's not the bad managers that Newcastle United fans hate. Like with, nobody really hates Alan Pardew. Nobody hates Joe Kinnear. Like we, we hate John Carver because he griefed the fans a lot. He started on two of them at Holloway. We now hate Steve Bruce because of the way he talks about us in the press. Everybody hates. Graham Souness because he's a horrible prick and they're constantly belittling the club. Those are the people that we hate. That's where the that's where the disdain and the dislike comes from. It's not from being a bad manager. It's not even from being a bad manager and not knowing you're a bad manager. It's from being a bad manager, but bad mouth in the fan base that pays your wages and and and, and that supports the team. And, and it's a, the reason it's worse for Bruce obviously is because he, he claims he's an Newcastle fan, which is just it's just definitely not the case from the way it goes on anyway we, we should move on because we could talk about Bruce all night and, and the negative Norman you wanted to talk about Joe Willock who had a, had a a good game he was clearly very tired and I thought he was very tired against Man City as well I thought that was quite apparent in the last 20 minutes against them so probably shouldn't have played 90 minutes he was all he was always going to get most of the game because it was his only chance to play in front of the home fans he did an interview in front of the crowd which I thought was class because you can hear people singing in the background asking him to stay um, and Luke Edwards has, has reported today, I think it was Luke, it was definitely from, was it the Telegraph? I could be completely wrong. Somebody has reported today that um, Newcastle United are, are going to send in a bid to turn his loan deal into a permanent deal and are confident he wants to come. I, I'm not sure you agree that that's the case, Norman. Look, he might have been keeping his call. I wasn't actually necessarily wanting to talk about Willock in the context of his performance yesterday. But what I will say is the headers that he scored for was so far. I basically sent a, I think I sent a message to a pal of mine. I said, he's like got, 
I've said he's like Dyer and Bellamy combined, but no, I'm actually going to throw Les Ferdinand in there because when he leaps in that <laughs> box, man, honestly, wow. Like, he had, a, he had a quiet game yesterday, right? But the reality is he got the winning goal. And imagine, like, as a centre-forward, like, imagine if Les Ferdinand had, like, 90 minutes where he didn't think much, but he got the winning goal with a heater, he'd be, like, had a good game. Well, yeah. it was like that yesterday. But um, the his partner at the end of the match yesterday was very diplomatic, right? That's a crack. He's not going to come out and say, oh, you know what? It's great being in front of 10,000 fans in a team that's fourth, fifth bottom. I can't wait to stay. Like, he's a 20-year-old kid with bags of talent who's done nothing other than enhance his reputation since he got here, right? And he's clearly, when he talks, you can see this is a kid who's come through the Arsenal Academy, right? One of those academies where the kids, where the, where the education of the player is valued as much as their playing ability. Like, he, he, he's just intelligent, right? It's as simple as that. And... I thought his answer was incredibly diplomatic. He didn't close any doors. He didn't leave any like too wide open. You know, he just said, "I've got to have a conversation." Fair enough. I didn't pick up on him saying that he definitely wants to stay. Stay. So great. If, if he's made those noises behind closed doors, fantastic. But ultimately, the way I would I would look at it is, I'd be thinking, Ari, he has a kid who's probably added ten million onto his transfer fee already by the fact, and the mere fact he's got seven goals in twelve games, which any centre forward you're saying on deadline day to keep you at the relegation zone. Is considered a success. If Newcastle were like second bottom in January and we spent 30 million on a forward who got seven goals in 12 games and kept up, it would be like a miracle signing. Willock has had that impact. He has lifted us. Maximan, we know how much of an impact he's had. Wilson, we know how good he is. But Willock has been the key to this run, right? He's been absolutely key. His goals alone tell you that. Um, given his level of intelligence, given his ability, given the Premier League is cutthroat and brutal, I just think that somebody like Moyes, somebody like Rogers, someone like possibly Graham Potter at Brighton, although financially you don't know, will be taking a look at that and going, you know what, I want to get that kid here this season. And if Willock has the chance to can play for, I'm not saying Moyes is a manager necessarily, but West Ham is a club with more ambition than us. Um, Potter is a manager at Brighton. Uh, Rogers is a manager at Leicester. Clubs that we should be competing with, by the way. Ancelotti is a manager at Everton, or just Everton in general, who at least as bad as have been have ambition. These offers are probably going to come in for the kid, right? So regardless of how many games he's played at Newcastle, as a 21-year-old kid with that much ability, if these kind of offers come in, would I blame him for taking one of them? Comparing it to Newcastle under Steve Bruce, where he'll get a lot of game time, he'll improve naturally because he's young, so he's going to improve just by the mere fact he's playing, but he's going to hit a wall. When he needs that input from a really good coach and stuff and a quality manager, he'll hit a wall. So for me, I'd be surprised to see him sign. But if he does, brilliant. Yeah, I have to say I agree. I I can't see him staying at Newcastle beyond the end of the season, which is which is really sad. If the if the club had anything else about them, they would be trying now to possibly extend the loan deal for another year and do it do it right now and then say with it with a view to buy it for forty million quid or something, which obviously we know we're never going to pay. But try just try and convince Arsenal that you, that maybe you will to to try and get that deal done and keep it for another year. He'll be playing for a better team than Newcastle United next year for sure. Um, he's he's too good. He's too good to come here, and a, a little, a small part of me doesn't want him to come because I think he's an excellent footballer, and I think he he could be a real good player for England and a real good Premier League footballer. But he probably, will, like you say, Norman, will will stunt his own growth by by coming to Newcastle. Um, I said this a couple of weeks ago, Mickey. I said you just need to have a little look around at the other young players at Newcastle at the minute, and is anyone flourishing? The, the longer they've spent with Bruce, the, the, the worse their career has got. And yes, Willock has obviously come in on, on loan and, and been a revelation. Like like many before him, you could argue that Rondon's loan was was absolutely class for the journey. The first time we got Kennedy, he turned the season round. Uh, Luke Remy um, a few years ago, uh, same thing. Like, uh, basically, Islam Slamani? <laughs> that heater against Arsenal. The one header, that header. <laughs> that um, neck. <laughs> uh, but it's it's often not the case that that carries on into a, into a second season. Obviously, we never found out with any of those players I've just mentioned, but uh, except for Kennedy, who was atrocious the, the following year. Um, the only thing I would say, Norman, is you're right. All of those players are, all of those clubs you've just mentioned are far more proactive than, than we are when it comes to stuff like this. But finances across the Premier League, it's just going to be so interesting to see if anyone really will shell out what might be 30 to 40 million if you want to sign Willick permanently based on the last six weeks alone. So it might be that no one can afford him at the minute um, on his current market value. And it might also be that Arsenal, not well, they, they need the cash as well if they want to sort, sort their defence out potentially or 
or even just to keep their front three at the club might might involve them needing to recoup some some transfer fees. So they might be keen to sell, but whether anyone can meet their asking price could lead us down that route, Mickey, of, of well, he might, he might consider a loan, but even then, is Newcastle the... It's not the only option he's going to have, and is it the option he would choose, given that the likes of both Longstaffs, Jamal Lewis... None of these players are really uh, flourishing uh, at Newcastle as 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 prospects that they are. So I think that's why Norman, you're right. You get that diplomatic. He says all the right things. He knows what to say to the um, the interviewer when asked. But absolutely, will take time to think about what's best for himself. Speak to his agents. Probably speak to his family. Probably speak to coaches at Arsenal about what they think. And I can't see many people saying aye. Spend another year at Newcastle because what's what's in it for him other than the fact that he's basically the best player in the team right now and it's it's that's a good thing to be the important best player at a club but it it can't last forever. The thing that the the only counterpoint to that side is the the Arsenal staff did get their heads together in January and decide that they, they were happy for him to come to Newcastle and that was in the immediate aftermath of our season just imploding with a the Brentford loss and the dismal run of performances over December, which started the brutal run that we've had under Bruce. So if the thought that we were an all right bet then, you never know that I think we're an all right bet now. Um, but, but who they knows? Needed, well, they, needed, they needed to get bodies out because they brought in Erdegaard, right? Um, so there's that. But I, I think um, I think it'd be interesting. I think uh, Alex was saying before he did a podcast with uh, Arse Blog, like a massive Arsenal um, fanzine and podcast, and a few Arsenal fans' opinions of Willock is that he's not necessarily good enough defensively and also uh, the fans want to see them buy players as opposed to bringing through the brilliant academy players that they have. Um, and I think obviously Arteta letting him gun suggests that maybe he doesn't rate him as much. We've seen him brilliant. We've seen him do brilliantly well, but obviously some managers just didn't fancy certain players, right? So so we'll see. I think I think Arsenal are definitely, Arsenal are definitely, definitely willing to sell in your right. Um, the, the loan deal, if we pay four wages for the entire season, maybe and pay a loan fee, but so desperate for money right now. I think if somebody comes in with even 20, 25 million, they'll probably consider it. Whether or not we'll spend that money, I don't know. I can imagine Leicester City, even though clubs are skinned, coming in and saying 25 million for Willock. I will take the chance. You have to hope that for once, Ashley's frugality with uh, with the club's money might pay dividends just this once, and we might be in a position that we can spend a little bit where other clubs probably can't. But I'm not massively confident. No, what that. I, that the, just quickly, sorry, sorry I'll let you come on in a second, but that the way you've described the Arsenal fans' view of players there is just the total opposite of what everything should be about in football. Like, can you imagine thinking you'd rather sign a load of players than have a bunch of players that have come through your academy that understand the club playing well for you? It's just mental. That's wrong and hanging. I'm so glad we don't think like that. My dream is to have a, a, a team of eleven academy players who are like doing the, like just doing brilliantly well, like, like literally spending a lot of money on an academy and 20 years later having like a crop of youngsters coming through that does fantastically well. I, I honestly didn't think there's anything, there can't be anything better than football than being able to, I guess, identify on, on a level with the players that are in front of you on the pitch, right? It yeah, must be like, developing those players, you know, developing those players is it's a, it's a really, really uh, lovely thought and um, one that's probably a bit fantastical given how capitalist the game is new at the top level. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, sorry. No, no, it's just a, the the point on Mike Ashley. I was just going to say, I think he will be very, very conscious of. He probably thought the only reason we signed Joe Linton for forty million because he thought there'd be potential to just spin that round in a Richarlison type way and just just make a tidy profit very quickly. He'll now be people will probably say the same thing about Willock. You, you, you pay anything from now, and he's only going to get better. So you'll increase in value, but he might be thinking, well, that's not necessarily the case. He told us that about Joe Linton, and he's he's worth a fraction of what we've paid. So. I think there's another reason there why Ashley would not sanction a, a high spend at this point in time. So uh, that that makes me less <laughs> less encouraged that this could happen. I, I know I know what you're saying, but it's, it's I think it's very different to compare Joe Linton, who came in having played up front in Germany, to Joe Willock, who's a young English central midfielder that has proven yeah, it in the Premier League. To, to normal people, yes, but to Mike Ashley, doesn't make a difference. It's the same thing to him. It's buying a football player for a risky asking price. Fair point. Yeah, I accept that. Uh, we're, we're 48 minutes into the preview review, and we haven't previewed the game at all at the weekend, so we better, we better move on to Fulham. Um, we play Fulham on... Is it on Saturday or Sunday? I don't know. Sunday. Always Sunday, last game of the season. 
Sunday, of course it is, yeah. Sunday afternoon, um, in what can only be described si, as a as a dead rubber. Are you remotely excited about this game? Uh, <laughs> excited, no. <laughs> I'm ready for the season to end. It's been a long, painful watch, and I'm ready for a stomach. I'm ready to get one last year. So it feels like we're not really at a break from football, and because every match has been on telly, you just don't have any weekends where you're not kind of orientated around the match. So I'm looking forward to uh, having me weekends back just for for a bit of a breather. Uh, and like you say, hopefully we'll be back at the match and going to games again and not having to watch everyone on telly and listening to commentators and all the stuff I've talked about already. So no, I'm not. I'm not excited. Um, it's a it's a it's the second of three dead rubbers really because the Man City game was a was a was a dead rubber third. Sorry. Um, I I don't know what what there is to get out of it. Um. Like like we said a few weeks ago, the, the only thing we should be looking to do is get the best performance out of the team we can so that we can start next season positively uh, if we finish this one strongly. And to be fair, we've, we've won another game. And if we win this one, you can't really argue against we've finished the season in, in some good form. Um, no, no, it doesn't really matter how we play. The results show that we've we've got better. Um, and if we win another game without Wilson, it's it's another positive. Um, albeit with with question marks over Willock and and Maximan and potentially others, is Almiron going to stay for another year under Bruce, who earlier in the year he seemed to basically fall out of favour with both ways? Um, I think that Fulham need this more than we do. They they need to get themselves ready for another season in the championship, and we'll probably be trying, especially given the fact that I think they've only got like their their form's fallen off a cliff. I think they've only got like two points out of the last nine or ten games like the the supposed resurgence of Fulham just never really materialized which has let us off but also we probably killed their morale by getting the results that made it now and impossible for them to catch us a few weeks back so if, if, if you're Scott Parker you want to finish on a on a high and it just gives you that extra bounce going into the championship whereas if you finish getting hammered um it could well be that you know we're uh it, it affects them going into next season. I mean, they came back up this year, but um, certainly we, we we sent them down with a bang with Benitez's last game. So it'd be nice to do the same. Uh, but I I suspect that we'll get a similar performance from our players, like Job's done, what's what's that to play for? There's a lot of uncertainty going into the summer in terms of players, manager, takeover again. Um, but then equally, that can also mean that you get a bit of a, a bit of a free roll of a game, a free hit, and that is what happened last time we played Fulham away at the end of the season. That it was just all the pressure was off everybody, and we got a really enjoyable game of football that showed from the players that they were just enjoying basically a friendly kick around on a on a Sunday afternoon. So that could happen if it's like that. I'll enjoy it, but I'm apprehensive because we didn't play well last night, and I think Bruce thinks the job's done, and that we'll just set up in the same way against the Fulham team who've had their confidence completely taken away instead of, he could easily set us up in a way, just, you know, let's just go for this. Let's try and score some goals, but he won't. You won't do that. So, nah, not excited. Norman, I said at the start of the show that uh, that yesterday was one of the great days. So, maybe slightly tongue-in-cheek, although I did have a great time. Fulham away two years ago was one of the great days. Uh, four goals away from home. Rafa was still the manager. Rondon scored in front of the away end. Loads of the old songs. People with their tops off. Dead hot full of pints in in South London. Things are very different now, but just uh, I just wanted you quickly to to think back and, and tell the listeners about how minted day that was and then have a look at Fulham and think about you know whether whether or not they've deserved to go down this season compared to us and uh, and, uh, and are they are they a better football side than us that have just been more unlucky than Steve Bruce is incredibly lucky in the Cassie United side or do you, do you think the table shows the true picture of the the quality of the clubs? So first of all, on the match two years ago, absolutely spectacular weekend. Couldn't it couldn't have gone any better, other than the fact that my dad got so bladdered on the Saturday that I couldn't get a hold of him when he went back to his hotel, and for about five hours, I thought he died. So that was a bit rough. <laughs> Turns out he was alright. Like he just his phone had broken, and there he got bladdered and went back to his hotel, and there wasn't answering his phone in the room. Apart from that moment, the whole weekend was was spectacular. The yeah, the weather was incredible. The performance was amazing. Um, and I love I love Fulham away. I've been quite a few times. And, and I love it because having lived in London for a long time, going into West London, like especially to Fulham and Putney, it feels like you feel like you're a bit of an invader because it's dead posh. You know, like, <laughs> my, 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 like, I, you know, like I've lived, I've lived in Lewisham, Tottenham, 
and uh, Walthamstow, and they got to uh, Putney, it feels like, oh, yeah, you're, you're not, you know, like, you know, the perception that people have of London when they've never been there, they think, oh, it's full of posh people. So it's like, like that is the represent, that is the stereotype, is, is Putney and London, uh, Fulham. So it feels, it feels nice kind of there. You feel like you shouldn't be there, and you can, you can just be loud and obnoxious, and you, you kind of, you're more loud and more obnoxious just because you feel that's what you should be like. Um, <laughs> so I agree, great days, but um, not Fulham. Fulham deserves to get relegated because look at the points difference, mate. You can't make an argument for them being a better football inside them and being unlucky and us being luckier when the points difference that's great, that great. If it was three or four points, maybe you could have an argument. You could say, aye, they probably do play a slightly better football. They still struggle to score goals. They've done our defensively. Um, you know, Parker, I think Parker is probably someone's going to have a long career in management, whether or not he'd be dead successful. Depends what your barometer is for judging success, Reid. But now nah, that they haven't, they had a lovely spell. Um, they were really, really close. So three points behind, but we were playing terribly. They were getting a bit better, but it went wrong for them. And I think, I think they missed an opportunity in the January transfer window. He brought in Josh Madger, who did all right for a couple of games. We brought in Joe Willock, and the the two, the difference between those two players has been huge. If he brought in some somebody who who had the impact of Willock, maybe the points gap wouldn't be so big. But he didn't, and. They deserve to get relegated, mate. They haven't even made 30 points. It's it's, it's an atrocious show. Regardless of what we've been like, they have been overall a lot worse. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, that that That's it. You know, we, we've stayed up this season by virtue of there being three really, really bad bad sides. And, you know, Sam Allardyce has resigned or he's resigned pending the last game. Um, like the honourless prick that he is. Um Fulham are going down terrible and, and yesterday we beat a Sheffield United side only just and they could have scored in the first couple of minutes I forgot to mention that early on they should have scored as well where just, just missed the outside of the post beat them once lost against them once but they've gone down as one of the worst teams in Premier League history we're incredibly lucky the way this year has gone and Bruce is incredibly lucky for the way this year has gone for so many reasons um, and he probably is well almost certainly is going to be the manager next season I think that about wraps it up lads I'll get your predictions for the final time this season um, it's a bit of a tradition that you predict Newcastle are going to win, whether you think it or not. But this time, I want you to be honest. What do you think the score is going to be? Norman? 2-1 Newcastle. Get in. Ty? Uh, I can see another 1-0 win for Newcastle, which actually, mathematically, we could we could go to as high as 12, which is mad. <laughs> 12 with 45 points. Bruce can shut Wall up with that. <laughs> go up on me a statue for him. I know. Because, um, yeah, Wolves have got... Wolves have got Man U, so they they've got a three goal head start on us. But if they lose two 0 we win by one. That's that's enough, isn't it? Um, and then yeah, Palace have got Liverpool, I think, and Southampton got another hard game. So we're good. All of them could lose, and we could win. And then I'll just be I wouldn't know what to do myself. Like if we finish twelfth after the season we've had and all the grief we've given Bruce, it, I just yeah. I, I mean, it could happen. And then I I don't know. I don't know what I'll do. Maybe I'll quit. <laughs> A true faith might have to fold, considering how, how bad we've been about Bruce. Um the the national press would be just horrific. Like would have to would have to just put a wall around Newcastle and block out any incoming internet signals and just like live in our own little bubble for a few years to let them calm down. Anyway, deny, thanks everyone. We'll have to deny the existence of Luke Edwards, just deny he exists. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it's the only way. It's the only way through it. Um Thanks everyone for listening. This has been the, uh, for the first and last preview review um, in a in a two game week. The final post uh, post match podcast will be out this weekend. I'm not sure when it's been recorded yet, but it'll be with you probably Monday night, I would think. Um, we'll have the usual end of season stuff coming for you soon. We'll have an end of season review. I know Mike and Norman are doing. I think you're doing a, a prem patter review for parents. Is that correct? We'll be doing a Prem Patter review for patrons, but we'll also throughout the summer be doing some um, different podcasts, shall we say? That probably involve you know various facial hairs of certain players and uh, <laughs> the, the usual the usual stuff where we can go a bit surreal. So there'll be plenty of that. <laughs> um, and Charlotte will have her live show. I think no, it's not on because I said that it was on last time, but it isn't on this week because the trust supporters trust are hosting live events uh, as part of the pledge scheme. So that listen to that, that's got Alan Shearer as a special guest amongst others. Um, so tune into that on Friday night at seven o'clock. Thanks everyone for listening. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.